Good morning, church. Good morning, 9 a.m. service for those who are here physically and for those who are watching online. Um, today, we'll be continuing our Philippines series in Philippines 1, uh, 12 to 26. Um, before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here today. Lord, even as your word is about to be preached, help us to understand, help us to listen, and help me, Lord, to preach it well as well. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let me begin by asking everyone a question, which is this. If you were to summarize your entire life into one sentence, what would it be? Or if you were meeting someone new and you were introducing yourself and you could summarize, Daniel Woon is a blah, 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 blah. What would you say? Or if you were to die right now today, what would be the one thing that we, you would like people to remember you for even as you die and pass away? And if you are new here today, if you haven't been with us for the past two weeks, we've started our series in the book of Philippians. And we see in the opening of Paul's letter that he was writing his uh, sincere, gracious affection and loving affection to his brothers and sisters in the church of Philippi. Paul was expressing his gospel partnership with them, all while writing his letter in a prison. And the amazing thing is that even while Paul was in prison, in pain and in suffering, Paul was not thinking about himself. You see, Paul was still very much narrowly focused on one thing and one thing alone, which is the person and work of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That his whole life, his whole mind, his whole being was warped around this laser focus on this mission, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people that may think, hey, this Paul's motto or this Paul's laser focus is just for Paul or it's just for the apostles or it's just for the full-time people that are doing church ministry. Now, may I suggest that if you are someone who thinks that way, or it's just for the full-time people, if your version of Christianity is perhaps just limited to what you do on a Sunday, may I suggest to you in all humility that your version of Christianity is very far from what the Bible says Christianity is. It's very far from what the Bible says following Jesus should look like. So that's the question that I pose to you. And the goal that as we leave this place, the main point of this sermon is one thing and one thing alone which is that our lives and our entire being will be centered and focused on the life and person of Jesus Christ. We will orient our lives for that one sole goal. And we will do that by looking at three different circumstances or perspective that the Apostle Paul was put in during prison during his time. So the first thing we see here that Paul was in prison Right. In verse 12, Paul is assuring his brothers, right, as you can see on the screen, that what has happened to him has served to advance the gospel. Now this what has happened is referring most likely to his imprisonment in Rome. Now imagine if you were a Philippian church Christian, if you were a Philippi Christian, you'd be thinking, ah, the Apostle Paul, our brother Paul, he's in prison. So how is the gospel going to continue? that our leader is gone, he's in prison now. Is this gospel mission over? Is this all for nothing? And Paul assures them, hey, no, 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 no. 
Now, not only has the gospel mission not been stopped, not been halted, not even been destroyed, but the text tells us that the gospel mission has advanced despite the negative circumstances that has happened to Paul. Now, doesn't this just make you want to celebrate and thank God that despite even our greatest efforts, that God can still use any circumstances to continue the mission that He has set forth for us. But most of us, I reckon, if, you, if either of us were in prison, we would probably go into just the deepest abyss of our sorrows and our pain. But yet, the Apostle Paul, being in prison, he was still so focused on the great commission that Jesus gave to him. You see here in verse 13, it tells us that even the imperial guards and the others recognized what the reason Paul was in prison for. Paul was in prison for Jesus. Now you can imagine, right, Paul being in prison in his cell and the imperial guards just walking by and they can ask him, hey, why are you here? What crime have you committed that has put you in prison? And you can just imagine the cheeky smile on Paul's face. Hey, 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 hey. I tell you exactly why I'm in prison. I'm in prison for Jesus and continues on his testimony and the gospel message. You see, Paul used prison, the negative, so-called negative outlook of prison for the good of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus. So much so that the other Christians that heard about it were so empowered by it. Verse 14 tells us that the brothers which are referring to other Christians, became more confident in the Lord to speak the word of God without fear. They had a change in mindset. They were doubting, they were fearful, but now, because of Paul's example, they were emboldened even more to face the potential persecutions and suffering that come with preaching Christ. Even Jesus warns us in our gospel reading just now. Jesus says in Luke twenty-one seventeen. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Friends, knowing what the Apostle Paul said and knowing what Jesus said, it prepares us. It prepares us for when negative circumstances do happen. That when sickness happens, when trials and tribulation happens, when rejection and hatred happens, that we won't be surprised that not only are these suffering circumstances ordained by God, which means if you are suffering right now, it's not by accident, that God knows and sees it and He ordains it for His purposes. But not only that, that we, Christian, should view our suffering circumstances as a greater plan that God has installed for us. And that greater plan is that we be more like Jesus and that we bring glory to God for His name's sake. So ask, let's ask ourselves this question this morning. If and when you do go through trials and tribulations, are you surprised by it? Or do you recognize that everything that you are going through is from God and ordained by God? Are you still fixated on your own desires and wants? Paul could have easily went, Oh, I'm in prison. This is horrible. Or are you focused on the person and work of Jesus? That everything that you are going through right now, your entire life is not about you, 
that it is about the person and work of Jesus. So that's the first thing Paul was in prison. But that's not the only thing that happened to Paul when he was in prison. In verse 15 to verse 18, this second point is about how other Christians around Paul at the time were responding to Paul while he was in prison. And we still see the same thing, that Paul, despite these negative circumstances, Paul was still laser-focused on the gospel. In verse 15, we see two groups of people. Now, it's important to mention at the outset that these two groups of people were not false gospel, false teaching people, and true gospel or true gospel teaching people. No, these both groups of people are Christians like you and me. In verse 15, it says that they both preach Christ. Paul was very serious about who preached Christ, so he would not be mistaken by that. You see, the people that Paul is describing are Christian brothers and sisters like you and me. They believe in the same Jesus as Paul does. The same Jesus that was prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New. The same Jesus that although he was sinless, died for sinful people like you and me. And the same Jesus that was raised on the third day and now because of him, we are justified and have a relationship with the Father. So the gospel content, this Jesus, is the same thing. They both believe in the same Jesus. But the differences are, is that one group preaches Christ out of envy and rivalry, the other from goodwill. So what are the differences between this group and this group? Well, firstly, preaching, firstly, preaching Christ out of goodwill is expounded in verse 16. We'll see here that this first group, the group out of goodwill, they preached Christ out of love for Paul. Because like Paul, they knew, this group know, the greater purpose of why Paul was put in prison in the first place, which is, according to verse 16, for the defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They share the same focus, the same mindset as Paul does. And they love Paul. They love him sincerely. They identify with him and they, they are assuring him, hey, we will continue this gospel mission with or without you. We love you. We know why you're in prison for. Now, the other group, on the other hand, in contrast to the group that does it out of love, in verse 17, this group is described as proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition and wanting to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. Now, this selfish ambition is most likely referring to them wanting to benefit themselves at the expense of Paul being in prison. So they are still, in fact, preaching the gospel, but they have ulterior motives in mind. They could be like, oh, now that the Apostle Paul is in prison, it's my time to take the stage. It's my time to take the rightful spot. And you can imagine them preaching to people and telling, they telling people, hey, don't listen to Paul anymore. He's in prison. He must be guilty of something. Listen to me. I am the true preacher of Christ. Maybe these people have a slightly different emphasis of ministry, slightly different emphasis of theology. Whatever it is, whatever the exact reasoning of this selfish ambition is, notice how Paul responds to it. He is not at all bothered by it. He is not at all faced by it. In verse 18, rather, he tell, the, the, the passage tells us that Paul rejoices that at the end of the day, Christ is 
proclaim in any way, whether in pretense or in truth. And we see here yet again from the Apostle Paul, just his laser narrow focus towards Jesus and the person and work of him. If you and I were Paul, perhaps we could be a very angry crybaby or we would throw a tantrum and be like, I wish I was the one preaching the gospel. I wish I wasn't in prison. These people are hurting me. I feel so hurt in this process. But rather, Paul did not do that. Because Paul knew the most important thing, which is that Christ is preached. Now for you and I, there are a couple of reflections that I want us to reflect on. Firstly, we realize that Christians like you and me are actually sinful. Right? We see Christians like you and I, we do not have the purest of motives in our hearts. Even for me, every time I stand on this stage, every time I'm given this platform to preach, I better check my heart. Because sometimes I'll be like, ooh, Edwin, you're doing good today. You're going to get here praise from people later. But sometimes rather than giving glory to God, I give glory to myself. And that's the reality of living in a sinful world. That we, even as Christians, do not have the purest of motives. So let us examine our hearts. Why do you come to church? Is it for to reap some benefit or is it to give glory to God? If you're serving in ministry, whether in choir, pastoral team or whatever means you are, are you serving God for some praise from people or are you serving the church to glorify God's name? So let's examine our motives as a Christian Second thing that we can reflect on, which is this. Do we celebrate when the gospel, or do we, are we rejoicing when the gospel is being preached and being promoted? On another ten, are we envious or jealous of other churches who are doing better than us? Are we rejoicing that the gospel is growing in other churches all across Malaysia? Or do we go, no, St. Mary's Cathedral, this is the place to be. We must come here. This is the church to be in. Do you get excited when someone when you hear the news that someone has placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Or do you go, huh? Ah, it's okay, lah, nothing, none of my business. Or is the salvation of someone something that you are genuinely joyful about? Brothers and sisters, like the Apostle Paul, let us all rejoice by the fact that God is working through his people to proclaim his gospel, whether in Samaris, whether somewhere online, or whether through a YouTube video, through other churches in Malaysia. Let us be so joyful and so thankful that God himself is working to bring people from darkness to light. Because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about St. Mary increasing in numbers per se. It's not this gospel. It's not about, not about you and me getting the glory, but it's about Christ being glorified. And having that goal in mind, having the goal that Christ is glorified, it changes every aspect of the way we think about our lives. That the work you have, your 9 to 5, your 8 to 6, is to glorify Christ your family, your wife, your kids, all aspects of your family are to glorify Christ. 
your ministry is about Christ glorified. Even to the point of your death, it's still not about you. It's about Jesus. And this is what we will see in the remaining verses ahead. That as Paul himself was contemplating life and death, by the way, all in the context of he was in prison, he was waiting for impending trial, whether he will be released from prison or whether he will die by execution. Paul was thinking about his life and his death. So Paul ends verse 18 by saying, yes, I will continue to rejoice. And we will see this theme of joy continually expounded in the rest of the book of Philippians. But verse 19, Paul tells us the reason for his joy. That Paul knows that through the prayers of his brothers and sisters, through the receiving of help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, these two things, it means that as the people prayed for him to be empowered by the Spirit, Paul is able to face what is ahead. Right? And Paul says that all these things will turn out for his deliverance. The this in the passage is referring to his current circumstances, his imprisonment, and his impending trial. What Paul is essentially saying is that no matter what the result is, right, whether he's released from prison or whether he dies by execution, Paul knows that he will be delivered. Paul knows he will be vindicated by God. So it means this. If Paul is released from prison, he's vindicated and delivered in the sense of Paul is innocent, right? Paul was put in prison wrongly and unjustly. So on one hand, Paul is delivered. But if Paul dies by execution, and some of you may be wondering, how is Paul delivered then? Well, if Paul dies, Paul gets his ultimate deliverance. Paul gets to be with the Lord. That Paul knows all the pain, all the suffering, all the bigotry, all the hatred that he's received. Once he dies, he knows he will get to see Jesus. And he will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Paul gets his deliverance. Paul gets his vindication. Verse 20 reiterates the same thing. Whether in life or in death, Christ is glorified. Because Paul knows with full courage and full assurance, he won't be ashamed. He will be delivered. In verse 21, the climax perhaps of this whole entire passage, Paul gives his entire life motto in one succinct sentence. And he says this, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, to live is Christ means all your life is for Christ. To live is Christ means that your life is to know the surpassing worth and knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 8. To live is Christ, it means that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. That Daniel Wood has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Galatians 2, 20. Paul explains this more in verse 22 that if he is still living, it means fruitful labor for him. It means that his whole life goal is to labor for Christ and to do gospel work. But yet, Paul still struggles with that because he knows dying is gain. And verse 23 tells us 
while dying is gain. Now, this is not some morbid suicidal thought that Paul was thinking, no. But it's this overwhelming joy of being together with Jesus forever and ever. And Paul describes that as far better. Not because living is not good, but that being with Christ is far better. So in a sense, Paul is in a win-win situation. If he lives, he is with Christ, Christ lives in him, he gets to do his mission. But if, and Paul was not saying that if he lives, so for example, if Paul, Paul wasn't saying if he was in prison and if he could escape prison, he could, oh, I can go have some me time and I can go to the shopping mall and do whatever I want and be comfortable for the rest of my life. But Paul was actually thinking, if I get to escape prison, I'm going to go back to doing the same thing that potentially might bring me back to prison in the first place. So that is to live is Christ. But if Paul dies, he gets to see his king face to face. And if you call yourself a Christian this morning, there is nothing better than seeing your Lord and Savior face to face. However, if you are not a Christian sitting here today, seeing Jesus face to face is not good news for you. Remember Paul said dying is gain? If you are not a Christian, dying is not gain for you. It is not gain at all. Because seeing the king is a scary thing for you. If you have not turned away from your sin, if you have not submitted to this king and trusted in this king for your salvation, believe me, dying is not gain. Hell, God's judgment are very real things, friends. And I pray and I plead with you to trust in this Jesus, this Jesus that died for your sins, this Jesus that is the one true God, the only way to the Father, I plead for you to trust in Him because dying is not gain for you. So I pray that you consider that this morning. Now in closing, Paul was focused on Jesus when he was thinking about his life and death, but Paul was also thinking about the Christians in Philippi. Paul was not thinking about himself. Paul was looking to other Christians and thinking about them. Right? We see that in verse 24. Paul says it's more necessary to be with them. Verse 25, Paul desires to remain and continue with them, which means Paul is saying, I want to stay alive so that I may continue to witness in your progress of your faith and the joy of your faith. Paul wants to see them joyful as they are reunited together. Paul wants to see them grow. And when they see one another prayerfully one fine day, that in verse 26, it tells us that in this joy of the faith, that they may have ample cause to give glory to Christ Jesus. And that, my friends, giving glory to Christ Jesus ought to be our whole life's focus and goal and mission. Our life's goal is not for our benefit, it's for the benefit of the King to give glory to Him and Him alone. Now the question is, is that your life's focus this morning? Is that your life's focus to give glory to Christ Jesus in anything that you do? So let's spend some time to just think about it. Is your life goal to glorify Jesus alone?
I will end with a word of encouragement, which is this. We are not the Apostle Paul. And most of us sitting here will not be in full-time ministry. And it's okay. But wherever God has placed you, may you live for His glory alone. If you're an accountant, be an accountant for Christ. If you're a teacher, be a teacher for Christ. If you're a CEO of a big company, be a CEO of a big company for Jesus' glory alone. That wherever God has placed you, glorify Him to the best of your ability. And when people ask you or when you're introducing yourself to your friends and your colleagues and your family members, that like the Apostle Paul, you too will give a summary sentence of your life. That for you, not for the Apostle Paul, but for you, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for help. That it's not easy to live for you. Forgive us for any of our shortcomings and our weaknesses that we have failed to live for you and you alone. Help us to trust in Jesus for our forgiveness and help us to be emboldened and empowered to live for you every single day of our lives. And Lord, that help us to also be reassured that as our bodies are weakening and our day of death will eventually come, help us to be assured that to die is gain because we can see you face to face. For those of us, Lord, who are not Christians, pray that your spirit will work in their hearts to see you and to come to saving knowledge of your son. We ask and pray all this, Lord, in your son's most precious name. Amen.